Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. Fourth of July weekend, everybody. <clears throat> that wasn't very good. Re- that was kind of lame, is honestly. Uh, it's Fourth of July weekend, and uh, as uh, as Americans, like the, the freedoms and the liberties that you get to enjoy, even to be in here in this house, we celebrate tomorrow, and so that's just a really exciting thing to be a part of. Um, uh, yeah, I, I absolutely love it. I was, I had the honor of going and joining our youth for a day at youth camp. We, uh, we had about almost 40 kids go up and, and visit at youth camp, and they were up there with a couple other churches. I was just so proud of, of the teenagers from Celebration Church. Like, honestly, like, in the games, they crushed everybody. <laughs> Smoked them. But also, like, during the times of worship and prayer and leaning into the things of God, the kids from this church were just leaning in, and they made me so just proud to be their pastor. And you should be proud to be, you know, the, the people that are sending them to camp. Uh, just, we have a great group of teenagers here. I love it. I love you guys. Proud of you. Love the way you lean into the presence of God. And uh, we've got our, our children are coming back from kids camp uh, today. So at some point today, uh, your houses will be loud again. And, um, and Sunday school will be packed again, um, but it's good. Hey, we've got a, a special guest here today. Uh, pastor Joe Parker is the founding pastor of this church. Pastor Joe, would you stand up real quick, just, just so everybody can see you. We honor you. We thank you, for your, we thank you for your service in the kingdom of God and all you do. I mean, there are anywhere, I, I've, I've never heard one person that knew you that uh, had a bad word. You, you are a man of distinction around the country. Um, I have people all over the country that know your name and, uh, and know what you've done. And so thank you for all you do. We, we, we appreciate you and value you. We are um, we're in, a, in a series uh, on the fruit of the Spirit right now. And uh, I, I just really enjoy, in the summer we like to kind of slow down and maybe a little less preachy and a little more uh, pastory. And so um, that's what we're in the middle of right now is a series on the fruit of the Spirit. We call it the summer fruit, but let me just tell you, it's not just for the summer. You need this all year long. And this is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. He says that we are to walk by the Spirit. Now, as somebody that was raised and still believes in the, the powerful gifts of the Spirit... Uh, this is an easy passage for me to misunderstand. Um, I, I believe that God equips and gifts the church with, with unique giftings to, to accomplish his will and to edify the body of Christ. And, and, and things like 
prophecy and things like laying on of hands and people being healed and, and miracles. I still believe in a miracle-working God. I just want you to know you're in the kind of church that believes in that. And, and we believe it's vital in the body of Christ for, for everyone to understand that when you were saved, that, that God has, he has gifts that he has put into your life. And the body of Christ is not complete until those gifts are activated inside of you. Whether those gifts are uh, practical gifts like administration or whether they're uh, spiritual gifts like the gift of faith. We believe the body of Christ is best served when every single believer is active in their gifting. And so Paul says, walk in the spirit. But here's where there's a catch. and And that's this, is when he says walk in the spirit, he's not saying walk around beady-eyed like an angry prophet. He's not saying walk around looking for someone to give a word to. That's not what he's saying. When he's saying walk in the spirit in Galatians 5, he's got a very practical idea in mind. And he explains to us what this idea is. He says it in just a couple of verses later. He says this, that the believer should have fruit that comes from their life. He's saying that when we're a believer, walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit of God is like fruit that grows in someone's life. It, a mature believer should have fruit. Do not measure your maturity in the kingdom of God based on your giftedness. Measure it based on your fruitfulness. He says this, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, kindness, which we're talking about today. It's goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Everybody look at your neighbor. Give him that eye, the side eye. He says self-control. Against such things there is no law. And right now, maybe my people in the room that... Uh, have, have done some biblical study on this passage, what you want to present to me, because I, I'm just unaware of it, is that the word fruit here is singular. And, and you want to say, Pastor, the, the, the word is singular. It's fruit. It's just one fruit. These are all descriptions of the same thing. It's all just one thing. And so let's move on. He's talking about love. These are all descriptions of love. And while I understand where you're coming from, I want to say this. If Paul wanted you to just move on from this idea of fruit of the Spirit, he would not have addressed every one of them. Like, it's easy for us to gloss over things in Scripture and kind of just rationalize past them. Paul's, Paul's explaining something to us. In fact, the word fruit is singular, but... In English, it's singular as well, isn't it? If I had a basket of fruit in front of me, I don't call it a fruits basket. I call it a fruit basket, and it can have 37 different types of fruit in it. It is still a fruit basket, and he's saying that the fruit of God in your life, it looks like all these individual things. Yes, they come together, but there are unique aspects of them that grow inside of us. I remember when I, was, when I was in Bible school, there was about five months where I was just praying, like, God, I just want to be a, a person that really honors you. By the way, we didn't have three services today, so you guys are getting two, two services worth of sermons. So I'm going for an hour and a half. Just, 
letting you know up front. And <laughs> I'm kidding. But I remember praying. I, I, was, I was praying. I was, I was like, God, I, I, just want, I just want joy in my life. I'd be like praying, God, like I just want joy in my life. Just joy in my life. Like just pleading with God for joy. And God's like, well, then be joyful. You know, like, I'd be like God, I want to be patient. I want to be patient. And I want it now. Like, and I'd be praying through these individual fruits of the Spirit as though, Though somehow by praying for them individually, that God would give them to me individually. But, but the truth is, although they are unique and different, different they are, the theological term is this, they are concatenated. They are all together, they all work as one. They grow in your life as one. You, you cannot have patience without gentleness. You, you cannot have kindness with without um, joy. Like all of these things come together in a believer's life, but we're taking time to look at them individually, all right? So this time of year is a time of year that I love because our family loves water. Does anybody else's family love water? <clears throat> Let's go. Water's the best, and I, I just, we like to do things in the water. We like to go to pools in the summer, uh, we like to go on boats in the summer. We like to go to Roaring Springs in the summer. And, and I say that, this is just my, my just humble offer, and, th- and that's this. If you have a boat, uh, if you have a pool, or you have tickets to Roaring Springs, invite our family. And we, this is just my gift to you, is we will join you on your boat. We'll pay for lunch. Uh, we love having fun in the summer. And one of our favorite things to do is to just to go play at the lake. It's, it's free, it's fun, it's good. And this year, this is what our kids, my wife got the kids is some little, uh, some cheap little kneeboard things. And um, the kids thought they were stand-up paddle boards. They're not, not necessarily the same thing. So they did a lot of swimming when they were trying to do stand-up paddle board. But last year, I was at the Albertsons in Meridian, and... If you don't know, the Albertsons in Meridian is a gift from God to this valley. I mean, you can eat food from any corner of the world at that Albertsons. Like, it's just absolutely amazing. And at the uh, last year when we went there, they were getting rid of last year's stock of those big inflatable rafts and because they were getting in a new shipment of last year's rafts. And so the, la- the, the previous year's ones were all on sale. So I, I, I'm, I'm a... I'm a person that loves a good deal. And so I'm looking through trying to find them. And they had a raft there. It was like 80% off. It was a Pegasus. It was 11 feet long and 14 feet wide. It could hold like 27 people. This thing is absolutely incredible. Big Pegasus. And I I went in there and I, I bought it and I loaded it up in the car and I... Uh, I said, our kids, we're going to Lake Lowell, and it's going to be amazing. This time, you don't even know what's, it, what's coming. So we get to Lake Lowell, and we're all ready to get out on the lake. And, and I get out of the, the car, and we unfold. It's this huge box, and we're rolling this, all this plastics coming out everywhere. And I get out the pump. It's one of those little, you know those little pumps with the, the two number D, or letter D batteries? You know, it's like... <laughs> it's like, it's not inflating at all. 
and then you got to plug it into the car. That, that's what we so we're outside, and I'm inflating this thing, and it's getting bigger and bigger, and then I'm realizing this thing has cup holders in it. It's got a cooler in it. Like, it's, it's amazing. All these different cavities of air were filling up, and, and then the wings start going up. It's got these large rainbow Pegasus wings that go up about 10 to 12 feet in the air with this the big Pegasus head with a, a unicorn in the front and a tail out the back. There's the most obnoxious and massive inflatable that I've ever had. So we got this thing and we, we, we all get, get under it because it was pretty heavy, honestly. And we, all five of us grab it by the, there's a rope around it. We grab it, we start dragging it down to the beach. And if you don't know, Lake Lowell has, has changed significantly in recent years. Californians, we love you. But you don't all have to play your music at the beach. That's not, you don't all have to do that. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's okay to let one person be the designated music person. And so, it's like, we're like weaving through all these people having fun at the beach. And we, we get there. We get the Pegasus in the water. And, um, and so, we get in. We're having fun. And we realize, like, there's just too many kids splashing around. The jet skis keep coming in. And we need to get farther away from the people. And so, we... We, take some, we, we kind of swim behind it and push it out a little farther, get it about 20, 30 feet out into the water, and, and we're sitting there just enjoying this massive, just blessing from the Lord. After about an hour of, of playing with my family and just enjoying this thing, splashing around, we look up and we realize that when you have two wings that are 12 feet tall and it is windy, those wings become sails, and, and, and we had sailed to the middle, like to the dead center of Lake Lowell. Like, we're in the, we're in the middle of the lake, and, and my wife's like, oh, no, babe, we're gonna, it's, it's going to get dark soon, and we gotta, we got to find somebody to help us. I was like, we don't need to find anybody to help us, babe. You, you got me, girl. So I jumped out of the boat and I started like kicking and, and you know, trying, to, trying to push it like this. On, and, and I'm just making splashes. So I told my son, I was like, get out of the boat, start pushing with me. And so we're both trying to push and, and it's just nothing is going on. And my wife keeps saying, we need to call someone. There's boats, let's call a boat. And I'm like, we don't need to call a boat. I'm, I've got this under control. And then after about an hour of just like trying to push this stupid inflatable back to the beach against the wind, I realized... Hey, babe, we need to call a boat. <laughs> and so there's all five of us standing on, on the, 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 the tube of this thing, and we're, like, hanging onto, a, onto the neck of the Pegasus, like, waving people down, like, hey, over here, over here. And there's these fancy jet boats with, you know, wakeboards up on the top, and they got music, blah, 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 and somebody's behind it. And they come swinging by, and they look at us, and they see us waving, and they're waving right back at us, you know. <laughs> And then we'll see somebody else, and they're fishing, they're doing their thing, and we're waving, and they're waving right back. And, and it's just, it, this goes on for probably 45 minutes to an hour. We cannot get anybody to realize that an inflatable Pegasus doesn't have a motor. <laughs> and finally, this guy with this old green skiff with a little outboard motor comes up, and he says, hey, do you need help? And and I said, yeah, we need help. He said, I don't have a rope. I said, don't worry about it. I jumped off the Pegasus and I, I untied the rope that went around it. 
I tied a knot on one end and and I gave it to his wife who was in, in his boat. So she's holding the rope on one end. And I take the other end and I wrap it around my arm. And then I, I'm holding onto the rope with one arm. And my wife's holding onto my arms with the other like this. And he starts taking off. And we're, we're just like, it's ripping me in half trying to get back. <laughs> took, us, took us forever, probably half an hour just to get back to shore. I was just thankful in that moment for somebody that was kind. Yes. I was thankful for somebody that was kind. And aren't there times in your life when you were just thankful that somebody stopped on the side of the road and helped you? Don't you know Justin Timberlake said that Nampa is his favorite city in America because the people are so kind because when he broke his bus, when his bus broke down, before they could get out to change the tire, there were six people pulled over to help him? That's what this place used to be like. Now, when somebody breaks down on the side of the road, <laughs> we just, woo, woo, we go around them, don't we? <clears throat> but we all need someone to be kind to us. Yeah. We all need someone to be kind to us. And the truth is, we need to be kind to other people. When I talk about kindness, immediately, I feel like even I shut myself off. Because I'm like, kindness, duh, like we're all supposed to be kind. I remember in kindergarten... Kindness on the wall. You remember what I'm saying, right? Like kindness was on the wall in kindergarten with those, those letters where they have like the two lines and the dashes in between and it shows you how to write in cursive and it says kindness. And we're like, oh, that's one of our children values. Like we're kind people. The truth is we tend to be nice people, but we don't tend to be kind people. And there's a difference between being nice and being kind Being nice is defined as something that is pleasing, it's agreeable, it's delightful. So being nice is when you do something that is pleasing towards somebody else, something that's that's pleasant towards. Being nice is when you're at work getting coffee and you you use the little uh, little tongs to grab a sugar cube for your coworker to give them a sugar cube. That's nice, but it's not necessarily kind. Kind is somebody stranded in the middle of the lake, and you go help them. Because kindness means this. Kindness means having, showing a benevolent, warm-hearted nature ready to assist. So you can be really nice towards other people and not be kind. Because kindness means you're ready to help somebody else. In fact, if you looked in the Oxford English Dictionary at the very first, like, root of the word kind, you'd see that in English, kind comes from a word kin, which has to do with relationships. The, the true, like, root meaning of the word kindness is to treat someone else as family. Here's what it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, we, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and our sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, it, it's not merely... Let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. 
Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. It's not okay to just say nice things to people. It is really important to God that we are kind people, because kindness is a big deal towards God. We live in a very rude, polarized world. You'll see it in the news or maybe see it in a blog somewhere. that We live in such a polarized society as though it's a new observation on our society. We don't seem to be able to come to the table together. We are very unmannered and uncivil in the way we treat each other. We often think it's... We be kind towards people that think like us, that look like us, that believe like us, but I, but I don't necessarily need to give grace to someone that doesn't think, look, or believe like me. It says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15, that it says, see that no one pays back evil for evil but always try to do good to each other and to all people. God's desire is that you would be kind towards everyone, not live in the tit-for-tat world that we've become, the world where when someone cuts you off, you cut them off. When someone says something bad about you, you say something bad about them. When someone says something about your wife, you slap them on TV. Like, like we, we, live, we live in this world that is just like, just you do, you do something to me, I'm going to one-up you. It reminds me of my childhood. Because I was the youngest of three, and, and my oldest sister, she, she could get a little rough sometimes. And so I remember there'd be times when she'd be beating us up, and, and Dad would be like, like, Ellen, what are you doing? You can't be beating up your brother and your sister. She'd be like, well, I'm just doing what the Bible says. What the Bible says? She says, yes, the Bible says to treat other people the way you want to be treated. And she pulled my hair, she must want me to hurt her. <laughs> That's not God's plan for our lives. God's plan for our life is not to get even with those. God's plan is that you would be kind to those even if they hurt you. Yes. Can, can I say that if, if you're not a believer in this room, um, if, if you're not a believer, this, this does not apply to you. Like, like, if you're not a believer, you could get them back. You know what I'm saying? Like, just get them back. Like, that's fine. You do your thing. But understand this. The person that brought you to church today, I'm telling you what their standard is. Their standard is kindness towards everyone, even those that have done them wrong. So I'm really raising the bar on them in front of you right now. I remember my mom, when we'd be fighting like that as kids, my mom would come into the, uh, I, I grew up with a church mama. You know what I'm saying? Like she was a, a church mama. She would, she would sing Bible stories to you and she'd, she'd whoop you if you fell asleep in church. That's, that's, that's what my mom was. And, but I remember we'd be, we'd be messing around as kids. We'd be arguing with each other and she'd walk into the room and she'd say, Be ye kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven thee. Ephesians 4.32, boop. 
And us kids, we'd be like, oh my, mom, that makes us more mad. Like, no, I'm really, she'd be like, no, sing it. You're going to sing it. You're going to sing it. Like, <laughs> be ye kind. <clears throat> it's God's desire that his people would be kind towards each other, to be considerate, to prefer other people above themselves. This is important in the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells a story that is the epitome of what it looks like to be kind to someone else. He tells the story in Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is, we know at the end of chapter 9, he's in Samaria. And at the end of chapter 10, he's in Bethany, which tells us he's making a journey from Judea, so from where, where Jesus is from, near a lake. He's going south, he's going to a city named Jericho, and he's traveling across the road over to Jerusalem, because Bethany is three miles east of Jerusalem, or three miles west of Jerusalem. And Jesus is telling a story about the journey they're making. It's about the same proximity. What happens is this. A, a man comes to Jesus, and he's a, a the Bible says a lawyer. But, but it doesn't mean lawyer like in litigation, like this guy takes legal cases. What it means is this is a man that is a scholar of the word of God. Somebody that understands the law of God inside and outside. He understands it well. And People like that would often try to trap Jesus with their words. They would, they would try to lure him into saying something that made him look bad. And that's what this man does. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says this. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. Can I just say that anytime you're going to test Jesus, you're the one going to be tested? By asking him a question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How your heart did. And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you must love your neighbor as yourself. This man is quoting two separate scriptures and making a, a single thought from two separate scriptures. He's quoting the Shema and another. And he's pulling them together and saying, this is the heart of God's law. To love God with everything you've got and to love other people. To love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus, his response to him, I, I, I just sense this... Um, I sense like Jesus is like, oh, okay, then, then you go ahead and do that. Here's what Jesus says. He says, right, do this and you will live. Go ahead. Go ahead. Make, make that happen. And I think it's important to, to point out that Jesus is, he's saying, do this and you will live, which means you're not living right now. I think Jesus is telling the man, you're not actually doing what you say you can do. And we see further that that is likely the case because of the man's response. The man says this, it says this in verse 29, the man wanted to justify his actions. So hold on. He knows that to be right in the eyes of God, I love God with everything I've got, and I treat others well like I would treat myself. 
But his response is, I need to justify my actions. And he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Because that's actually the right question, isn't it? Because none of us in this room, when the preacher gets up and says, Jesus says be kind, none of you are like, oh, that sounds unbearable. Everybody's like, yeah, that makes sense. We need to be kind. The problem isn't that we disagree with kindness. The problem is we want to know what the loopholes are, don't we? We want to know who deserves the kindness and who doesn't. And, and this man is actually right in asking the question because, remember, this man's a, a lawyer. of He's a scholar of the law, so he knows that Proverbs 3.27 says this, Do not withhold good to those to whom it is due. Do not withhold your goodness towards someone who deserves it when it is in your power to do it. And do not say to your neighbor, go and come again, and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. He, he understands that, that in Proverbs, it's, it's equating the person that deserves your goodness with someone who is your neighbor. This man knows this. And so he asked Jesus, who deserves my kindness? And that is the real question we all have to ask. It's not, should I be a kind person? It's, should I be a kind person to them? And Jesus, in classic Jesus style, he answers this man with a story. I just want to pause right here and say, if, if you're not careful, you'll get on YouTube and you'll hear people say that preachers need to stay away from illustrations or personal stories or anything like that. And can I just tell you that whoever said that has never read the, re the writings of Jesus or the teachings of Jesus. The way Jesus teaches is by taking a thought and throwing it alongside a personal experience. It's called a parable. He, he throws it alongside a story so that people understand. Jesus was very visual. Jesus would have brought the Pegasus up on the stage. And the, and the green boat. Here's, here's the deal. This man is a good man. He knows that he should love God, and he knows that he should love people. But he, he's more concerned with looking nice than he is with being kind. And isn't that the case for most of us? We're, we're more concerned about looking in the mirror to make sure we look pleasing, to make sure we look nice, rather than looking in the mirror of God's word and making sure that we are kind inside it. There was a study done by, I heard this on the radio, and so I didn't have time to, to jot down all the notes of the study, but it was a study that was done some university on the East Coast. They, they had a, a student hiding in the bushes next to a stoplight or stop sign, and the student would jump out of the bushes at the stop sign and to cross the road at just the moment that a car was, was stopped and getting ready to take off to cross the intersection. So the car had the right-of-way, but the student would sort of appear at the last minute. And they recorded how many of these cars would stop and how many of them would keep going. And it was what was so incredible to, uh, about the study was they discovered that the value of the car was a key predictor in whether or not the car would stop and let the person cross or whether it would go in front of the pedestrian that did not have the right of way. 
they said that the, there was a, a certain threshold of car price, and once it hit that price, before that, it was almost 100% of people would stop. But at a certain threshold of quality of car, it went to 50% of people would continue even if there was a pedestrian stepping into the intersection. This isn't to say that people that are, that are, that are wealthy are somehow unkind or inconsiderate, but it is to say that we can often be more concerned with how nice our things are, not how nice our world is, and less concerned with how kind we treat others. We can be more concerned about our fancy boat with the, the rack on the back and the, the boombox beating out the back than the poor person out on the Pegasus that's begging for help. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can be more concerned about looking nice than being kind. And here is Jesus' response. He said, a, a, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Now remember, this is the road that Jesus is likely traveling on because the beginning of the story, he's on one side of the road, and the end of the story, he's on the other side of this road. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. This very well could have been a true story. And I say that because this road still exists today. And at the time of Jesus, it was known for bandits and robbers and theft. Here's a picture of the road. This is the ancient road. On the left-hand side, you can see it. It's not a, like a three-lane highway. It's basically a footpath that the Romans had carved out of the side of the road. It had been there even before the Romans. It was a goat path before them. It was used by, uh, by, by people, other biblical people that, that left, fled Jerusalem and went off to Jericho. This is a path that's been there for centuries, but it's just a couple feet wide. In fact, in the time of Jesus, this path was called the way of blood. It's between 20 to 30 miles long, a footpath from Jerusalem below sea level, down, or down below sea, sea level to Jericho, through the, kit, the cliffs and the caves. It, it would be like hiking to Jump Creek on the sides of the hills. That is the path. And Jesus says that this man was on the path and he gets robbed. He gets stripped. He gets beaten and left for dead. And then it says this, by chance a priest came along. What I love is that in other translations it says it like this, luckily a priest came along. You know what I'm saying? Like when you're on rough times, when you've been beat up, when you've been struggling, thank God the priest showed, thank God the preacher showed up in a time of need. You know what I'm saying? That's what he says. Jesus is being sarcastic. He says, by chance, priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by him. The, the, the priest sees the man and doesn't go to the man to help him, doesn't go to aid him. The priest avoids the man. The, the priest decides to keep his distance, the, 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 pre, the priest sees the man waving from the Pegasus saying, I need help. And he goes to the other side of the lake to go play. You know, like that's what the, and, and, and the priest, when he, when he comes, this is not a wide road. It says he goes to the other side of the road. 
We're not talking about two lanes of traffic, nice sidewalks. We're talking about two feet of trail. And the priest sees the man and goes around the man. Like the priest is close enough to touch the man, but he avoids the man. He sees their needs, but he's too concerned with his own needs. He sees the need, but he's too concerned with his own ambition, with his own purpose, with his own calling to be able to help somebody that he has to step around. And then it says this. It says, a a temple assistant walked over, and I use this translation because... Most translations just give the word, it's a Levite. And I just didn't want to confuse anybody and make them think this is a gene salesman. A temple assistant. Sorry, it's a really dumb joke. First service thought it was funny. It's a temple assistant. So this is a person, he's not a priest, but he is part of the worship service. This would be like Clark who leads worship, Clark Burton, who leads worship up here. This would be like Clark shows up on the, on the scene. Like Clark's the guy you want to have if you're laying on the side of the road helpless. But it says, it says this, the temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there, but also passed on the other side. So the, the worship leader, the gene salesman, sees him. The, the, the priest walks around him. The worship leader, he, the priest just avoids him. The worship leader doesn't. The worship leader walks over. Huh. Sucks to be you. And goes around him. He's, he's curious, but he's uncaring. He... He sees the guy in the Pegasus in the middle of the lake, and he, he does a couple laps around him, looking at him like, look at this knucklehead got out in the middle of the lake. It's going to be, it sucks to be you. It's going to be hard to get back. That's what the Levite does. Can I, can I just tell you that this is telling me that being a religious person does not mean you are a kind person. In fact... In my experience, I would say some of the most unkind people I have met are religious people. If you're an unbeliever in the room today, I hope you hear the message here, and that's this, that although one of the greatest frustrations with the church is that Christians can sometimes be so self-centered, they are unkind, that that is in complete opposition to the message of Jesus. That we should be the most kind people on the planet. And Jesus is pointing out that sometimes our religious obligation, our sense of holiness, our ability to see right from wrong prevents us from really engaging the needs of people And so the, the Levite just sort of rubbernecks around him. You know what I'm saying? We all do this in traffic. You see a car pulled over on the side of the road, and you're, you're looking out your window, seeing if it's your neighbor. Because you, you're looking out the The Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial, the entire country rubbernecking into somebody else's business. 
for weeks. Curious but uncaring. And how many times in the church do we do that? We, we, we see a young family struggling financially, and, and we're curious, like, oh, my goodness, look at the dumb decisions they made, but I'm uncaring, not going to help. Look at, the, look at the person that's struggling with another relationship. I'm curious. That's just, I wonder if this is going to be another train wreck. But I'm uncaring. I'm not going to step in and help somebody. It's terrible what's going on in the Ukraine. I want the news updates about it, but I don't want to send any money. We see the car on the side of the road, and we just... And then Jesus goes on. He doesn't stop there. I think what's so, what's so unique about this is He's saying that these two religious people didn't stop to help the man, which is just the opposite of what you would think would be, especially knowing that these are people that understand the word of God. They know that in Exodus chapter 23, verse 5, it says, if you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure to help them with it. Like there's a biblical command. If someone else's donkey has a flat tire that you're supposed to help their donkey up. They know this. But because the command isn't also help the person up, they find a loophole around it. In, in the words of the scholar Jackie Chan, he says, sometimes it takes only one act of kindness and caring to change a person's life. Can I just say that if you would just slow down for just a minute and be there for someone in need, you can change their story. Just showing, up, showing just one moment. And you can be the person that shows kindness. He goes on and he says, then, then a despised Samaritan came along. Which is, you're like, what do you mean a despised Samaritan? He said, despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, he felt compassion on him. And, and the Bible is very open. It says, this is a despised person. We don't like this guy. He's a Samaritan. And the reason is because in their world, racism was very alive and very accepted. Like, we live in a, in a country that still struggles with racism. And if, if you think that's not true, you are deceiving yourself. We still struggle with racism. But the there is a great counter, and the, the counter is this, is that as a country, at least we're trying to get rid of it. Like we're really trying hard as a country to fix a huge problem. We've become a, one of the most accepting countries in the world, even though we still have issues. In Jesus' day, they didn't work on it. In fact, Jesus calls a Samaritan a dog. The Bible tells them, it says that the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Just openly against another racial group. And it goes two ways. This is one of the things that makes Jesus so crazy. Is Jesus intentionally goes to the ethnic group that all the Jews hate. And they hate them because they used to be Jews. They used to be the, the, the Jewish people. And they intermingled with another group. 
And then what happened is they became half-breeds, and their worship changed a little bit. And so they're really, they're the same people to you and I, but because they're half-breeds, they're considered dirty. And what Jesus would do is go out of his way to meet with Samaritans, like a Samaritan woman. No one would meet with her. And Jesus, Jesus' disciples are like, what do you, like to give some clarity with, with how deep this, this distaste for Samaritans was. Remember, Jesus is traveling from Samaria to Jerusalem. He, he ends up in Bethany, just outside Jerusalem. But at the end of chapter 9, he's, he's going through Samaria. The Bible tells us a story. He, he goes to a city. He's trying to bring the word of God to these people. And the people reject Jesus. Look it up in your Bible. The heading will say something along the lines of Jesus rejected in a Samaritan village. They reject him. And the disciples' response to Jesus' rejection is this. Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven and burn, incinerate? The, like they're like, should we have the A-10s just wipe this thing out? Like they're just excited to just the wrath of God on these people. And Jesus' response is like, he says, of, of course not. <laughs> like, no, like, that's not what we're doing. So the disciples of Jesus themselves, like the moment they be, these people didn't receive Jesus, these disciples want to kill them all. And Jesus says, it's the, this guy that you despise so much shows up on the road and he has, he sees the man and he feels compassion for this man, and he shows us what it looks like to be kind. The first thing is this if kindness as a believer begins with being able to see the needs of another person, seeing the needs of people around us, it's got to become part of who we are to, to simply be able to see that, that there's somebody in need, to recognize when, when somebody's they're, they're about to come short at the, at the grocery store and recognizing the need. that They, they don't want to not have enough change in their pocket. They're just coming up short, like seeing the need of, uh, of the kid that, that is always around the neighborhood and never has a bike, like being able to see those needs. One of the great things we can do is to just be able to see the needs of the people around us. But the problem is we've experienced such a good work from God in our lives. We're so far removed from what God did in our lives. We have like spiritual amnesia for how messed up we were. We don't reach out to the person that is now needing someone else to reach out to them. Or we think that helping somebody is just a one-off. So we help them now, and then we bounce off to the next person and help them. It's like spiritual ADD. Like, like instead of just like, <laughs> like oh, I'm going to help you right now. Oh, look, a bird. Like, like, no, like stick with somebody, walk with somebody, be with somebody. That's how you show kindness. And then it goes on, and it says that he felt compassion for him. You've got to see the person's need. The second thing is this. You've got to sympathize with their pain. I, I see with my eyes, but I sympathize with my ears. I'm saying that like your actions and your presence are always greater than your words. You, you can tell somebody all the great fancy things you want to tell them, but it will never be as powerful as just sitting with them and listening to them, asking how they're doing. 
I, I did not get permission to share this story. But it's my brother-in-law, so he can beat me up later if he has a problem with it. My brother-in-law, Toby Stevens, many of you know him. He lost his dad in the middle of the COVID outbreak. Um, directly from COVID. No, nothing else. Just it was COVID. His dad died, and it was really hard for him because... As you know, our country was so polarized, and it was like this weird political issue for everybody. But for my brother-in-law, it's his dad. And so in general, people would get frustrated if he wore a mask. They thought it was a, a political statement. He's not a political statement. My dad... Because he went to a birthday party, and nobody was... But we want to make it political. My brother-in-law felt so isolated because no one seemed to care. It was just like, he's just another number. Like, no, it's not just another number. It's my dad, a music lover, a people lover. And he went to the funeral in Tyler, Texas, and he came home. Felt very isolated, very alone. Felt like nobody really seemed to care. Still a young man in our church named Jordan Rodriguez called him and said, Toby, I'm going to take you out for lunch. And I want you to just tell me about your dad. My brother-in-law can't share that story without crying. Because in a moment of feeling like no one saw him and no one knew him, those were the most kind words he could hear. Like, I don't want to tell you something to comfort you. I don't want to try to convince you this thing isn't real. I just want to hear about your dad. Saying we can see a need with our eyes, but we sympathize when we open our ears and ask somebody, how did you get where you are? Tell me your life story. As believers, we've got to be the kind of people that take time to care. And then he seizes the moment. The Bible says, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, and he bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. He actually took action. It is far too long that the Christian church, that our approach to people in need is get better. Just do better. Just stop being poor. Just stop having bad relationships. Just helpful is when people are quit. I'm just saying that that is not helpful. What is helpful is when people are kind, when they see a need, when they have compassion towards that need, and then they roll up their sleeves and make a difference in someone else's life. It says this in James chapter 2, that if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warm and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is our religious church services? What good is worshiping in, in freedom on the 4th of July weekend if we can't make a difference in someone else's life? 
What does it matter if we're not willing to roll up our sleeves and make a difference for those that are struggling with addiction, that are struggling, that are walking through the remains of a divorce? If we're, if we're not willing to roll up our sleeves and help someone whose house is burnt down, it makes no difference. And you don't have to wait until you feel it. In fact, that's the difference between compassion and kindness. Compassion is an emotional response to seeing the needs of someone else. Kindness is a benevolent response whether you feel it or not. And they often overlap. They often go together. But kindness does not matter. You don't need to feel it to be kind. Uh, that's the problem, right? We think, when I feel it, I will do it. And we think feelings lead to actions, but that's not true. Feelings do not lead to actions. Actions lead to feelings. Ask your psychologist about it. You going into your room and, and you feel angry, and so what you do is you're going you're gonna to relieve your stress by beating your pillow. That's going to somehow cause you to calm down. Psychology tells us that behaving angrily makes you more angry. Hitting your pillow actually is it cultivates this thing called rage inside of you. It might feel good in the moment, but it creates a feeling. And I'm saying if you want to be a kind person, don't wait until you feel the need to pull over and help somebody. Do it and you will feel it later. Feelings follow action. Fourth of July weekend, preacher. You need to calm down. <laughs> the church is missing the mark on this one. We do a lot. The church, the church has stepped up in most areas. But I think often we, we delegate those things off to corporate expressions rather than a personal lifestyle. So I've got to be willing to be interrupted. I've got to be willing to make a difference. And then I've got to be willing to do whatever it takes. He, the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Like the equivalent, two denarii. This is, the equivalent is like two months lease of an inn. Like this is, this is a lot of money. This is... He's saying, I'll do whatever it takes to help this person in need. It's not a one-off. I'm going to give whatever finances I can, whatever time I can, whatever emotional ability I can. I'm going to give them any, any connections I have. I'm going to try to help the people around you. And that's the call of Jesus in our lives, church. To be a spirit-filled person, to be a spirit-led person, according to Galatians 5, does not mean that you have to have a word from God from everybody you meet. What it does mean is when you see the needs of someone else, you stop and you show them kindness. So my question to you is this. Who is your neighbor? Because that's what Jesus brings us all back to. Because the point of this whole story was not for Jesus to say, the way you be kind is by seeing a need, sympathizing with the need, making, taking action, and then doing whatever you can. Those four steps, like you should be a good Samaritan. That's not the point of Jesus' story. 
he actually says something that flips the whole story on its head. He says this, now which of these three would you say was neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Remember, this whole story is in response to this question. I'm a religious person. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, okay, the answer to the question is, who is neighbor of the one that's beat up, tore up, naked on the side of the road? He's saying the religious guy is the one on the side of the road. He's saying you and I are the one in need of the Samaritan in our life. And the man replies, the one who showed him mercy, and then Jesus says, yes, now go do the same. So there's this level of Jesus saying, yes, you, you've got to treat your neighbor well. G.K. Chesterton says it like this. The Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because generally they are the same people. But what Jesus is doing here is this. He's saying, you and I are in need of a Savior. You and I were on a raft in the middle of the lake, adrift in life, and Jesus showed up with a green boat with an outboard motor, and he towed us back to shore when no one else would. Jesus showed up when you and I were struggling with addiction in the basement of our home, and no one knew because we hid it from everybody, but Jesus showed up and delivered us when no one else could say anything or do anything that made a difference. Jesus showed up in the middle of our messed up marriages and Jesus delivered us from the from the the, the the unforgiveness and the violence and the and the hatred inside Jesus showed up and brought us to a new place and so go and do likewise Jesus showed up when we were sinners when we had no purpose when we had no place and he says I will I will not go around you I will not avoid you I will not be curious but uncaring I will do whatever it takes Just go do the same Would you stand with me all across the room as the band comes While I was dead in my sins and my trespasses, Jesus Christ died for me. When you were still okay living in the sins and the ways that you offended God, Jesus still loved you. While you aimlessly drifted on a boat in the middle of the lake with no hope, purpose, or ambition, Jesus showed up for you. Would you raise your hands? Just kind of just in a prayer response right now. God, you're, you were there for us when we had no hope of our own. God, when we didn't know where to turn, what to do next, you showed up at just the right moment. When, God, when we, we thought our next step was to just keep doing what we were doing, you showed up in such a dramatic way and you 
changed, you transformed our lives. And your only request was that we would just go and do the same. So God, I pray right now that you would forgive us for our avoidance of the needs of other people. God, forgive us for the times that we saw someone in need and we just turned a blind eye to it. God, forgive us for being so concerned with someone else's marriage that was falling apart. We were curious but uncaring. God, forgive us. And I pray that you would place people in our paths that need help. I pray you'd place people in front of us that just need a word of encouragement, just just a word that would echo for eternity. God, I pray you'd place them in front of us that we could be your people led of the Spirit, transforming lives. Just keep this posture for a moment. Maybe there's someone in the room right now, and for you, you just recognize that where you're at in the story is you're you're the one who's struggling, aimlessly trying to push your raft to shore, wishing there was a better way to go about life. I'm telling you there is. His name is Jesus. And if you're ready to stop trying to push your own raft ashore, and you're ready to allow him to save you, to rescue you, now's your moment. Doing it on your own, and you're ready to turn towards Jesus. Would you put your hand up so I can see you, just so I know who I'm talking to? I see that hand. Put him up high so I can see him. Yeah, I see that hand. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to repent and we're going to believe. Repent means we turn away from the things in our life that we think, do, and say that we know don't please God. And we're going to believe in the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And when we do this, his blood cleanses us from all sin. And he puts us in a right right relationship with him. Pray this with me right now if you're one of those that raised your hand. God, I'm sorry for the things in my life that I know don't please you. I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. Would you forgive me? I believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross, was buried in that tomb, and that three days later he rose from the grave. And right now I'm placing all my faith all of my hope in him alone. Say these words with me. Jesus, be the Lord of my life and I will follow you every day that I live. Come on, church family. There's some people that just made the greatest 
decision of their life. The greatest decision. And he won't fail you and he won't leave you. Church, if we're to be people that are led of the Spirit of God, we must be the kindest people in our city. We must be the kindest people in our neighborhoods, the kindest people on our jobs. Let's worship the Lord. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys and let's continue to love God, love people and change the world.